It's Daily Thunder, thundering out the truth of Jesus Christ live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more about our discipleship programs or to support this podcast, visit ellerslie.com. And now here's today's special guest, Joseph Mockler. All right. You guys want to turn to First uh, Peter chapter 1. So I was thinking, um, I want to talk about, Nathan texted me on um, Sunday, asking if I would do this, and so what immediately came to my mind was First Peter, um, what I've been studying, and um, primarily one section I thought was really fitting to for what's going on. Um, so First Peter chapter 1, and this is good because I'm going to be preaching at myself this morning, um, so I'm looking forward to listening to myself, <laughs> or listening to the Word of God. So anyways, 1 Peter chapter 1, and we'll start in verse 3. Uh, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So specifically what I want to look at is um, he's begotten us again to a living hope. And just want to take some time and just share some thoughts with you on hope. Um, you know, I think just there's, there's so many things that people put their hope in and you know, you look at our world right now, and that's sense why it's crazy, because people have their hope in something that's wrong. So, turn to uh, Hebrews 6. And, so Hebrews 6, um, Hebrews is amazing, I was studying through it a few months ago. Uh, really enjoy the book of Hebrews. But, you know, Hebrews talks a lot about how much better our covenant is than the covenant of the Old Testament and how much better we have in Christ and his spirit than what they had before. And so, so let's start in verse uh, 13. And he says, When God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater he swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Which I think is neat, that he had to patiently endure. You know, we want so many things so quickly in our society. And, but Abraham had to patiently endure to receive the promise, and so do we in so many things. In verse 16 it says, For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise to oh, to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope 
set before us. This hope we have, have as an anchor of the soul, sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Um, oh, you know what? Actually, I, wanted, I didn't want to come here first. I want to turn real quick to Colossians. Let's just, um, I want to go there first. Then I'll come back to Hebrews and get my thoughts on that. Colossians 1, 21. So it says, You who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight, if, indeed, you continue in the faith grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, am made a minister. So he gives the idea that, that hope is something that holds us down, something we plant our feet in, and we're secure in that hope. And he's like, don't be moved away from that. And so the idea is, if the warning implies that we can be moved away, right? that we can be moved away and swayed from the hope. So, in, in Hebrews 6, where it says, okay, in verse 17, thus God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, which is us, the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. So the immutability is that it's unchanging, that it can't be changed, that it's fixed. So the immutability of his counsel confirmed an oath that by two immutable things, so two things that can't be changed, one, that is impossible for God to lie. And just thinking, you know, what confidence that we have in God that he can't lie, that we can come to his word and see who he is in his word and know that it hasn't changed. And a thousand years, a million years from now, it'll still be who he is. That he can't lie. And what he says will promise. And that's why Abraham could patiently endure to wait to receive the promise because he knew who God was faithful, that God was faithful and he couldn't lie. So that's, that's the first thing. One, that it is impossible for God to lie. We might have strong consolation, or another word there for consolation is a strong encouragement who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence of the veil. So that's part two, is the anchor that we have. And, you know, the anchor is something that in a boat, right, you're, you, whether you're, you're docking your boat on the beach, or whether you're just out in the ocean, you want to drop your anchor in, your anchor holds you steadfast to where you are, right? It keeps you from moving away. You're fixed where the anchor is. 
And so he says, okay, this anchor holds us. But what does it hold us into? So it says, the an- <laughs> this, an- this hope we have is an anchor for the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil, which I was thinking about last night. It was, it's neat. So we have the veil, right, in the holies of holies that one man once a year could go into in the Old Testament. And it was the, the, the high priest only once a year could go into the holies of holy behind the veil and enter the presence, okay? And, you know, we read in the Gospels that when Jesus died, that that curtain, the veil, was torn in two. But, it, but he says here, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So you have this veil, right, that's been torn, and the holies of holies is behind there. Well, who's behind there? Well, the Father, right? That's where the presence of God is. But it says that Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us at the right hand of the Father. So he's there at the right hand of the Father. So he is the anchor there that holds us steadfast. Does that make sense? So it's the anchor that went in behind the veil to where? To Jesus. He's holding us, right? He's the anchor that we look to and holds us and grounds us. Make sense? I don't know if it does. <laughs> um, and so, you know, when you have a hope in something, you have to know that that word is true, right? So if someone tells me they're going to meet me tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock, my hope in meeting them is entirely dependent upon that person's word, right? If they don't have a good word, and I've met them before, and they're usually late, or whatever, I'm, I'm like, okay, I'll probably see them eventually, but I don't, I'm not hoping that they're going to be there at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. They'll probably be there late, right? So our hope is entirely dependent upon the one who is promised, right? And so if our hope is in God, how do we know that what he has promised will come to pass? And you know, I was just thinking on, on all these things in our world and in our lives, what we put our hope in. I think we put our hope in, so, I know we put our hope in so many different things, and we look to many things. You know, we can look to, a, to an achievement, like, hey, I'm going for this. Like, my hope is in this. It's in this achievement, whether it's a social status or a physical status or a health, our health. Um, whatever it may be, we oftentimes look to something and say, hey, my hope, I'm putting my hope in that. The problem is, once that is removed, there goes our hope, right? And so, with the virus we have going on right now, people are, are going chaotic because what's their hope in? Their hope is in material things. They have, they don't have any hope, right? Their hope is in this life now. And so when they have the thought, oh, man, I might die, that is, that's mind-boggling to them, right? Because that's where their hope is. But as believers, we should be able to say, well, that our hope is not in this life, right? If Paul said if we have hope only in this life, we are above all men to be most pitied. But we don't. We have hope in a life to come. And that's why we, uh, you can see the Chinese believers over in China going and helping those who are in need. 
because they're like, well, this is what God's called us to do. This is what we're actually here for, to live for. We're not living for this life. Our life is for the one to come. And I, it frustrates me when I see guys going after so many things and putting their hope in, in, in worthless things, like whether it's video games. I'm like, buddy, video games. Like, wh what are you thinking? You're, you're, it's one thing to, for people to, to go for a job. At least you're doing something productive. But video games, you're going to sit there for hours every day and play video games? Come on. Like, that's ridiculous. But, but even, okay, you could even put it in, in work, right? So many guys do that. They find their identity and their hope in work, or a family, I think for anybody, whether a guy or a girl, we can put our identity within our family, who our family is, right? But why? Like, if that is removed, then where's our hope? And I, th I think what we're going through in America is a great reality check for the church to say, do we actually believe what we say? You know, we say we have hope in Jesus, hope in his word. We have hope in God and the life to come. But when push to, comes to shove, do we? You know, it's not a huge deal for the people in China, right? When they are every day living with the fact that, hey, I could be put in prison for, for sharing the gospel and doing these things, right? It's a reality. They've counted the cost. And they know what their hope is in. It's in the Lord because they're dying to that daily. So when they have this virus, it's like, okay. It's, it's an additional thing. We're here, we're like, whoa, what's that, right? And, you know, Jesus, when Jesus says, unless you're willing um, to forsake father, mother, brother, sister, to follow me, you know, that's going to cost you everything. We, we are, that concept is so foreign to us because we can still, in a sense, follow Jesus but still have hope in these inside things. Um, so I think it's a great check for us to see where is our hope? And what are we putting it in? Um, and I want us all to make sure that our hope is resting firmly, firmly in Jesus. Because that, as, as Peter says, that it can't be corrupted or changed. It's in him, it's fixed. But I think it's so, so easy for us to get away from that and put our hope into something else, right? I'm in a relationship right now, dating a girl. It's easy for, my, for me to say, okay, I'm going to put all my hope in her. But what happens if that relationship ends? There goes my hope right out the window, right? Um, which I'm not doing that. But it's an easy thing to put our hope in something else apart from Jesus. But we can't because it, it will one day crumble. So, getting back to the point of, okay, we have this hope, right? The hope of Jesus for one day that we're going to see him. And we have a hope for an eternity with him in his presence. But how do we know that that one is faithful? Okay? So, this is neat to me. I think, you know, God is God, right? He could say, believe me, end of conversation, we're done. And we, and we would say, okay, God is God, and we'll trust him, and we'll believe him. Because he's, he, he is who he is. But I'm amazed in Scripture, um, in like how Isaiah, where God says, come, let us reason together. Like, why? Like, you're God. You don't need to do that. But for some reason, he desires to come down to our level and says, okay, I will reason with you. And um, 
to turn to uh, Ephesians 1, where in, in a similar way, he's, he's done this. So, you know, our hope that we have is something that we don't see right now, right, fully. We see a part of it, a glimpse of it, but it's something that's going to be revealed one day. And as, as Romans 8 talks about, you know, he's like, if we had, if we could see, I'm paraphrasing, basically like, if we can see fully what we have our hope in, then that wouldn't be hope, right? So our hope is in something that we don't fully see and comprehend right now. But in Ephesians 1, um, where's my reference? 13. So it says, in him... You trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. So you, re- you were sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee, or tr- King James translates it, the earnest of our inheritance. Okay, so an, an earnest is, the, is, a, is a down payment in a sense, okay? Uh, the lexicon definition for it here is, um, what did I do with it? Oh, here it is. It's money which in, which in purchases is given as a pledge that the full amount will sub, subsequently be paid. Okay, so when you go to buy a house, right, you put a down payment, a third down payment on that house showing that I'm good to buy this house, right, that I'm going to prove myself faithful to make the payments to the bank. In the same way, God, for some reason, says, okay, I'm not just going to say there's a hope to come and let you go on the rest of your life without that. He's like, I'll give you a down payment in a sense of that, which is the Holy Spirit, which blows my mind, because I'm like, if the Holy Spirit is only the down payment, imagine what the full thing is, right? <laughs> like, come on. If, 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 if the fruit of the Spirit that we, get, that we get to partake of today is just part of what he has for us in glory, how much more will it be when we get to heaven and see him fully and get to experience the fullness of that reward? And... So if we go back to 1 Peter, that we have a living hope. Um, and the definition there of living is having vital power in itself and exerting the same power in the soul. So there's, there's a living power within this hope that we have. And Peter says that the inheritance is incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And so guys, like, what, what are we putting our hope in? Is it, is it something other than Christ, because it is in the world, right? It's just, it's crazy. 
and I, I was just checking out the store yesterday, and just watching the people around me, they're so sad. Like you see them interacting with people, it's just, it's so sad, it's like they have no hope. They have no hope. They're just there, like, oh, it just strikes me the sadness that people have. And I think, what a blessing that we have, that until the day we die, we have something that we get to go after. And that hope cannot be changed, that we have hope, not just in this life, but in the next life. And getting back to, to, his, to the Holy Spirit as an earnest, as our down payment, um, Peter even goes on in this passage, and he just talks about, um, in verse 10, he said, of this salvation right, that we have, the prophets have inquired and searched out carefully and who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the suffering of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us they were ministering the things which have now been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent down from heaven. Things which angels desire to look into. And guys, we've been given in the Holy Spirit the thing that the prophets prophesied for thousands of years and things that the angels desire to look into. Which really strikes me is that the angels say they, they it's not even like they want to have what we have, but they desire to look into. It's like they don't fully understand what we get in the Spirit of God within ourselves, And in 2 Peter, which ties in with this, um, chapter 1, in verse 2, he says, he says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. There's not much that falls outside of life and godliness for, for our needs. Through the knowledge of him who has called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceeding great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped corruption that is in the world through lust. It, this, and this part really stuck out to me, that through these you may be the partakers of his divine nature. So God's divine nature is what sets him apart from everybody else, okay? So we are in the world, the world is here, and God is over here, and his divine nature is what sets him apart, that he is totally different than the world, okay? He is holy. He's other than, he's other than, he's other than the world. And his divine nature sets him apart from us and from the world. But what, what Peter says, that he has made a way, how does he put it? That we can be partakers of his divine nature. And that as we are transformed and changed into his image, that his nature becomes ours. And what sets him apart can then set us apart through the Holy Spirit. Because he, he says, as his divine power has given us. His divine power, that the word there, divine, or uh, power, is the word dunamis, where Jesus said in Acts 1 that you shall receive 
power, dunamis, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So the divine dunamis there, I think, is the divine, the Holy Spirit. He's given us all these things. And so when he says we have a living hope, man, we sure do. Like, we have the living hope within us for not just now, right? It is now that, that we can daily go after his divine nature and we have his spirit indwelling within us and that's going to keep us until the day when we have when we see the the full fruition of our hope and you know I wondered if we actually live that way if I lived my life in that way, would the world stop and notice and see a difference? Because if I truly placed all of my hope in what was to come, I wouldn't be living for material things. And the world would have to see such a starch contrast. Whereas Peter says that they would ask you for the reason of the hope that we... That we that is, is in you. That it's, that it's something that people should be able to see in our lives. That we're not just for the here and now, but we're living for something other than today. Right? Like the believers in China stick out. Who would go and help people in need when they risk, they risk their lives and could get killed or could, or could die from this virus? Right? But they have something else. They have a living hope. They're demonstrating by their life that they're not here for the here and now, but they're here for, for something later. And I think in our Christian circles, can people look at us in America and say, yeah, they're not after material things. But I think so often they can. That we try to look as much as we like, like the world and follow so many things that the world does, we just want to be one step better than them. So we're following, the, wor the world is going down, and we're following the world down, we're just one step behind them, we think we're better, because we're one step better than the world. But God says, we should be the ones setting the standards, we should be the ones partaking of his divine nature, and being changed and transformed. And so in my life, and in your life, like what does this virus do, right? What does it do for our work? And what do hardships and trials in our lives, what do they show? Because all they do, they just, they just reveal what's there. They don't change our character. Our character is already there, and our hope in what we have was already there, but they just reveal what we're placing our hope in. And so let's be a people that aren't living for this world. They're not living for our job. We're not living for a ministry, right? It's easy to come here and be like, oh, for me to have my identity and what I do here. But that's not my identity. And it won't be in a job, but it's firmly in Christ. And let's live our lives that that is the reality. Because one thing to say, okay, I know that. I believe that, right? But when we stand before God one day, we're going to have to give an account for everything we did. And did we live our lives 
in a way that that was the reality. Because we'll look like fools on this earth if we do. But it'll be pleasing to the Lord. And one day, we will be. The reward will be so worth giving up what we gave up on this earth. But really, really as I've thought about it, it's like, what really are we giving up? Because you see the world, and I'm like, your life's pointless. <laughs> like, really? Like, people are going around looking for something to satisfy themselves. Because there's, 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 there's something within them that they're looking to see, they're looking to find that hope. And they think they can find it in pleasure. But they find when they get to the top of where they're going for it that there's nothing there. Or there's little there. And they go on looking for it. That's why you have midlife crisis, right? Right, Where you have, especially for guys, they go to the high, highest they can in their work. And they're always going to achieve something because they, they, they think when they'll get to that point of success that they'll find fulfillment. And they get there and they realize there's nothing there. And so then they go into midlife crisis. Really, they're just looking for hope. Everybody's looking for hope. So what better news do we have than to share hope with people and to tell them of the hope? Like, people are so looking for it, right? That's why people in, in, in prison, in a sense, can be so much more ready to receive the gospel because they realize that you don't have to convince them that they don't have hope in and of themselves. Like, they know they're bad, right? But yet, you don't have to get, come to that point. But the, 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 as Jesus says, the harvest is ripe and it's ready. And so let's be quick and ready to share the hope with people. Right? Even in this, in this coronavirus, it's a great opportunity when people are going crazy and we can, you know, when we're talking to people as we're checking out in line, you know, just, just to testify of God's hope within us and ask them a question. Like, you know, why are you like that? And, but to, to, in a sense, put a stone in someone's, a pebble in someone's shoe um, to give them a thought, um, but to share the hope with them. And so let's be about that. Let's not just, let's not keep the hope to ourselves because it is great, but let's make sure we take it and we turn it outward. So let's pray. Lord, we just thank you that you've given us a living hope. Lord, that you've brought the gospel to our ears, that we can hear it, and that we've responded to it, Lord. And Lord, that you haven't just saved us from the wrath to come and saved us from judgment. Lord, but you've given us so much. You've adopted us as your children, and you have filled us with your spirit that you've given it to us and that we get to partake of your divine nature, that we get to be changed and transformed every day, that every day we wake up, that we can come to you and ask you to change us and transform us, that every day we have something to go after until we die. And that hope is fixed and it's secure and no one can touch it but that you're preserving it for us in heaven. And so, Lord, may we, as your people, be living in the reality of that, that we are 
we are fixed and that we're set in the hope that's to come and that we're living for that, for the kingdom that's coming. We're living for the life eternal that we're not for the here and now, but we're for the hereafter, Lord. And Lord, may we as your church here demonstrate that to the world. Lord, that our lives wouldn't make sense to the world because we're doing that. And so would you show us, Lord, areas, show me, Lord, areas in my life where, where I'm putting hope in things outside of you. Lord, I want all of my hope to be in you. So Lord, would you just reveal areas in our hearts and our lives that we're putting hope in apart from you. And we thank you that this is what you desire for us. So we just ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily weekdays at 8.15 a.m. and weekends at 9.15 a.m. Join us at live.ellersley.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellersley.com. Thanks for listening. Thank <laughs> you.